0: This day in sports history. It's February 22nd, and today, I have not one, but two miracles on ice. First, let's rewind the clock to 2020. The Carolina Hurricanes were on the road for a matchup with the Toronto Maple Leafs. James Reimer got the starting goal for the Canes against his former team, but after he was crushed in the crease in the first period, he left the game with a lower body injury. Enter Peter Morazic who was coming off a loss a few nights prior. In the second period, Morazic came out of the crease to play the puck, and he had a hard collision with the Leafs' Kyle Clifford. Mrazic now had to leave the game. The Canes had no other goalie on the bench, so enter emergency goalie 43-year-old David Ayers, the guy who drove the Zamboni for the Toronto Marlies, an affiliate of the Leafs. Now, the emergency goalie exists in every NHL arena every night, but it is rarely needed. The last time an emergency goalie had entered a game prior to this was 2018, when an accountant by the name of Scott Foster played the final 14 minutes for the Chicago Blackhawks against Winnipeg. But here was Ayers, entering the game with 8 minutes 41 seconds left on the clock in the second period. The Canes were up 3-1 at that point. Ayers skated onto the ice with his number 90 Canes sweater with his name emergency stitched onto the back of it, but he was wearing Toronto blue hockey pants and a Leafs t-shirt under his Canes jersey. The Canes gave him a little extra breathing room by scoring a goal with three seconds left on the power play that they'd been given after the Clifford hit on Morasic. Ayers gave two back quickly, though, on the first two shots he faced, and the game was nearly tied heading into intermission, if he had not made a good stop as time wound down. When the team skated back on the ice to start the third period, Ayers was now decked out in all Canes gear. In the locker room prior, though, his new teammates told him to just go out there and have fun. Just go play the game like you always do. They'd give him some support if they could. And they did. They added two more goals to make it 6-3 Canes. And Ayers calmed down, and he played solid hockey making seven saves on seven shots in the third. Now, Ayers was the first emergency goalie to be credited with a win. He was one of the three stars to skate on the ice after the game, and he became a hero not just to Kane's players and fans, and still is, but to just about everybody who saw him play that night. Interesting fact the Hurricanes had actually required the use of an emergency goalie in 2016 when George Alves came on for the final 7.6 seconds in a game against the Tampa Bay Lightning, but he never faced a shot in that one. And now, the second miracle. Even if you don't know anything about hockey or even sports, you probably know about the miracle on ice. So it's 1980, Lake Placid Olympics, it's the medal round. You've got the Soviets, who had won four consecutive Olympic golds in hockey and were favored again against the U.S. team, which was a collection of college players and amateurs with an average age of 22. But, of course, they had coach Herb Brooks on the bench, and he believed in these kids. He delivered the pregame speech that's now famous, "'You were born to be a player. You were meant to be here. This moment is yours.'" Now, these two teams had played a week before the Olympics began, and the Soviets had treated the U.S. college boys like a youth hockey team, winning 10-2. But now, on this night, the kids were doing all right. Mark Johnson picked up a loose puck in front of the goal, and he scored with a second left in the first period to tie the game at two. The Soviets took a 3-2 lead into the third, until Johnson scored again this time with just a few seconds left on a power play to tie it. A few minutes later, it was Mike Eruzzioni's shot from the high slot that found the back of the net to give the Americans a 4-3 lead. It was their first lead of the game, but there was exactly 10 minutes left on the clock, a lot of time to hold off a certain Soviet charge. Goalie Jim Craig saved several Soviet shots, and the pipe pinged a time or two, but the Russians only took nine shots in the third, compared to the 18 they took in the first. They also didn't pull their goalie for a six-on-five advantage as time ticked down under a minute. The Soviet coach didn't believe in it, and he had never practiced pulling the goalie for the extra skater. As the end of the game approached, Al Michaels, who was calling the game for television that night, uttered these famous words. You've got 10 seconds, the count Now, remember, this win only qualified the U.S. for the gold medal game. They had to beat Finland two days later to win the gold medal. And, of course, they did. Beating the Finns 4-2. Another thing? The game was not actually broadcast live. It was shown on tape delay here in the U.S., with some parts edited out for time constraints. ABC wanted to change the start from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. to make it a prime time game here in the U.S., The Soviets said "niet," because their fans back home would be watching at 4am instead of 1am. So instead, the game was taped and played back at 8.30 here in the US, following a Pink Panther cartoon special. Also on this day, in 1959, the first Daytona 500 race was held on the brand new racetrack. From 1936 through 1958, the Daytona race had been run on the beach and through downtown Daytona. But here, on a new two-and-a-half-mile asphalt track in front of more than 40,000 people, 59 cars took the green flag. By the end, there were only two cars on the lead lap. Lee Petty took the lead from Johnny Beecham with three laps to go. And on the final lap, the two battled it out door-to-door all the way to the checkered flag, with both Petty and Beecham claiming they won by at least two feet. Beecham was declared the winner, and he headed off to the winner's circle. It took the head of NASCAR Bill France, three days of looking at photographs and film footage to determine that it was actually Petty who crossed the line first, and the error was finally corrected. And in 1967 the slingshot goalpost became the standard in the NFL, eliminating the use of the H-frame posts. It was still located at the front of the end zone for a few more years. It would not be until the 1974 season that the goalposts would be moved to the back of the end zone. That's all for today, and that is the meatiest dish that I've ever served up here on this podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Anyway, I'll see you tomorrow for another edition of This Day in Sports History. This has been an original Thrive Suite production.